Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You got to get out there and you got to be willing to knock on doors and to spread the word about what you're doing and to not be judgmental or prejudge any locations. Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name, episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Now, I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely one that being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, we are going to be talking to an expert in a space that, well, my gosh, after about a thousand episodes, I've never talked to an expert in this space. Vending. Yes, vending. How does that relate to real estate? Well, there's some passive income opportunities and it's an intriguing business model. So we're going to talk about the ways we can make money as a vending machine investor and how our best ever guest today has done that. How you doing, Matt Miller? 
Joe, I am doing awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, nice to have you on the show. And because it's Saturday, we're doing this special segment called Situation Saturday. And we're going to do a hypothetical scenario where we want to create income. We've seen vending machines around. Clearly, everyone's seen a vending machine. But they take nickels and dimes and quarters. And clearly, there's a way that you're making money. Because a little bit about Matt, he has raised over $4 million dollars. In this business, he's the president and founder of School Spirit Vending, which is a franchise company. They have a profitable business system where they work with investors who want passive income. They are based in Kingwood, Texas, and he's formerly an Air Force pilot and advertising executive. So, before we dive into the scenario, Matt, you want to give the best ever listeners just a little bit more about your background and your focus. Yeah, Joe, I went to the Air Force Academy for college. Like you said, I was an Air Force pilot for nine years. Along the way, figured out that I really didn't like being told what to do. And so as soon as I could get out of the Air Force, I did. Thought the corporate space would be the answer and worked there for almost a decade. But along the way, learned that the rules were always changing and they never seemed to be in my favor. And I kind of got sick of being at the whim of decisions that were being made by others that I had no control over. So started doing some stuff on the side, business-wise, collected aluminum cans for a while, sold books on Amazon. My garage looked like a library at one point in time. But I'd read Robert Kiyosaki's book, which I'm sure you talk about on your show and many of your listeners have read. And I bought into his whole idea of passive income. So I was looking for a way to not just make side income to help pay the bills, but to make it passively and in the process develop more control over time of my life and be able to better provide for the family. And had a good friend of mine from church one Sunday mention a gumball machine that he and his kids had bought and had placed it in a local area business. And it was a business they could do together as a family. They were making a little bit of money and it was something he could do with his kids. And I remember that conversation. And even though gumballs are a quarter, I quickly realized that the markup on them is over a thousand percent and that it would take a lot of gumballs for me to free myself up from what I was doing full time because we had a family of five at the time, but it was something I could do on the side. The machines did all the selling once they were placed and it allowed me to continue to pursue my career while building this business on the side. And so that's where my start occurred in vending about 13 years ago in that position. Mm. So now let's talk through the situation where you've been exposed to the world of vending from the friend you know at church. He told you about the gumball machine. And I'm asking you about your story because I'm sure a best ever listener who has their curiosity peaked as a result of our initial conversation they're going to want to hear how you did it. So talk us through from your first conversation with that person at church. Where'd you go from there? I ended up finding a Yahoo group, which today I would liken it to a podcast like yours, where I was able to learn. What year is this? This would have been about 13 years ago. So 2004 okay. time frame or so. Uh -huh. We were in a really bad place financially at that point, And 
I found a Yahoo group that I could plug into and kind of be a fly on the wall because I didn't know a whole lot about vending at all. I also bought a couple of eBooks on Amazon and kind of studied the industry and just so happened to hop on eBay and found a used candy and gumball machine from a guy across Houston for about 36 bucks. And I didn't even have to pay for shipping because he was local. So I won that auction, loaded up a couple of my kids in our 98 Honda Accord and drove across town one Saturday to pick that machine up. He taught me a little bit about what he had done and gave me some more insights. Stopped by Sam's Club on the way home to pick up the gumballs and the candy for that machine. What did he tell you? And the following Monday. In that initial um, conversation. He had done a lot of work in local bars and local restaurants and had done pretty well for himself, but he just decided that this really wasn't for him and didn't have the time to do it. So he was looking to get out. And so he sold me his equipment for next to nothing. In fact, I could have turned around and resold that machine for twice what I paid him for it. So there was really no risk for my part. But the biggest thing I learned is you got to get out there and you got to be willing to knock on doors and to spread the word about what you're doing and to not be judgmental or prejudge any locations, because what many of us might think is a great location oftentimes isn't, and what many of us might not see as an opportunity for a location is. What most people don't realize is if you were to put a a video camera on a vending machine, in many cases, it's the employees in that location that drive the revenue. It's not the customers that come in and out oftentimes especially when you're talking candy and gumballs and that type of thing. So it doesn't have to be a super high traffic place in order to have a successful location. Mm -hmm. In fact, some of my most successful locations were actually break rooms in local area businesses where the public never even realized that the machine was there, Mm -hmm. but the employees went there for their breaks or for their lunch or whatever every day. And my machine ended up becoming a part of, their lunch or their break every day because the candy and the gum was right there and readily accessible. What's the incentive for that store to have the the thing in the break room? There's a couple different types of vending. We call it what we do bulk vending. There's the charity route and then there's essentially the revenue share route with the location. When I was just doing simple candy and gumball machines, it was a charity angle. I worked with MD Anderson's Children's Cancer Hospital down in Houston and a portion of the proceeds were donated to them. What so the location, the, yeah, the location didn't get any financial value, but they were given a foot-by-foot, square-foot space to benefit the hospital. I gave 10% of the revenue to there. There's some charities where it's just a dollar per location a month. So depending on what folks look into and decide who they want to partner with on the charity side of things, it varies somewhat. And is that the honor system or do you submit financials to them every so often? It is purely the honor system. Help me with the timeline or the progression. You started with one gumball machine, you put it where, and then where'd you go from that point? So I went door to door, just literally would go to a strip center and hit every business in, in the strip center. My first location was a karate studio in Kingwood where we were living at the time and set it up there, waited a couple of weeks before I did anything else because I had never used 
these machines. My kids had never used them before. So I was like, okay, really? I mean, are there people really putting money into these things? And after two weeks, I was chomping at the bit to see if this thing actually worked. So I went back on a Thursday night, kids everywhere in the place for karate class, put the key in, and quarters spilled out of the machine all over the floor. And I was like, holy smokes, I'm on to something. Well, I took that money and was able to reinvest it into another machine. The guy that I got that first machine from had, I think, 19 others. And if I was willing to come back over the next couple of months to buy them, he'd sell them to me at the same price. He wouldn't have to list them or ship them or whatever. So I went back a week later and had money for a couple more machines. And I just slowly cash flowed this thing because I didn't have any other money at all to do it. So once I got that machine, then I went out and knocked on some more doors to place the next one and knocked on some more doors to place the next one. When you knock on the doors, someone answers, what do you say? I own a vending company here in the local area. We work with MD Anderson's Children's Cancer Hospital, helping them raise money. I've got a small candy and gumball machine that looks like would fit perfectly in that spot right over there to the left of the cash register was wondering if you guys would be willing to support MD Anderson and let us place a machine. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. In that scenario, the store owner does not get a cut of the proceeds. Is that correct? Correct, because just to give you an idea, in that scenario, a typical machine is going to make 15 to maybe $30 a month. Mm-hmm. So if you're giving the owner a cut, you're giving them next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, if you venture into toys and temporary tattoos and stickers and that type of thing, which I eventually started doing as well, the revenue can be significantly higher for a location like that, especially a restaurant or that type of thing to where now it is beneficial to have the owner involved and to cut them a check each time you come in. But with a candy or gumball machine, the revenue numbers just really aren't enough for them to get excited about it. In that scenario, I own a vending company. We work with fill in the blank kids hospital gumball machine could fit right there. Is that okay? That scenario, you're making 90%, hospital's making 10%, and the store owner is benefiting because there's another amenity that they have to end their store to maybe make the experience better. Right. In the revenue share model, typically people will pay 30 to 35% to the location. Sometimes it's revenue, sometimes it's profit depending on how the vending operator sets things up. And that's essentially they're renting the space, essentially, and they're setting up, in most cases, an entire toys and temporary tattoos and stickers and maybe some candy and gumballs. Typically, it's on a rack like you'll see at the local Walmart or whatever. And the vending operator's job is to come in and to merchandise and to change up the merchandise on a regular basis, keep the machine clean and full, Every time they come in, they're cutting the location a check based on the revenue that's in the machine. The revenues are typically quite a bit higher for that type of setup in the right location, but there's significantly higher investment in the equipment to where some of the setups I had were $1,000 or more when you factor in the equipment, the product, and inventory in the machines and that type of thing. How do you reimburse, if you do at all, the store for the electric if you have to have a machine plugged in? 
None of our equipment has any electricity involved at all. The toys and temporary tattoos, they don't need that. So you started out with one gumball machine in the karate studio. You progressed from there. What was the tipping point? Within a year or so, I got to about 125 locations all around the north side of Houston and was pretty stoked because I was making about twice in my vending route as I was working full time. And I was able to do it nights and weekends. A hundred locations with primarily gumball machines? Well, by then I had ventured into the toys and all that stuff too. So about half the locations were candy and gumballs. And then the other half was the toys, temporary tattoo stickers, that type of thing. And for those 100 locations with that makeup, how much money is that a year? I was bringing in four to $5,000 a month. Okay. So 45 to 50 some odd grand mm-hmm. is what I was bringing in, just okay. working a couple of days a month at that point. 07 and 08 hit in the middle of all that. And the revenues dropped off because people were hurt by the economy and weren't frequenting a lot of the businesses where I had my equipment. So I was frustrated. And right around that time, I had a bunch of young kids come knocking on my door, selling me stuff for the local school fundraisers. I thought that was odd because their parents weren't with them. They were strangers to me. So they were essentially going door to door to strangers' houses, raising money for the schools. And I had kids of comparable age at the time. So that concerned me, number one. But number two, because of the change in the economy, I was looking for a way to better stabilize what I was doing. And the whole idea of school mascot stickers and sticker machines in schools came to me around that point. And that's where the whole idea of school spirit vending, which is what we do today, helping schools fundraise across the country with our franchise program. And initially, it just came from necessity on the revenue side. And like I said, getting some kids hopefully off the street by taking some of the fundraising in the school instead of out in the neighborhoods. And that's your business model now primarily? Correct. We work with busy families professionals who are already doing extremely well in their career, but who are looking to diversify outside of that. And we show them how to do what we do in and around schools in their local area. And it ends up creating a win-win. They have the ability to develop a side income, much like real estate with a very limited time commitment, but an extremely high cash flow. And it also benefits local area schools because the schools now become that charity beneficiary with our program and it gets some kids off the street and because most fundraisers in the schools require volunteers it's a huge win for the school because we don't require any volunteers for our program Mm -hmm. basically you're selling custom stickers with the school's mascot in the school through via a vending machine and individuals the franchisee owners they are responsible for getting the sticker machines inside the schools and collecting the residual income? Correct. Out of all the different types of vending machines, why'd you land on this one? Is it the most profitable? It's definitely not the most profitable. First off, I don't have a mechanical bone in my body. I flew the second largest airplane in the world, Joe, the C5, but I still don't know how to change the oil in my car. So I was looking for something that was very, very, very simple to operate. The reason why I went towards stickers is real simple. If you were vending toys 
and you came up with a great idea for a new toy, it would take six months to a year before you had that item in your machine because you got to send it to China and you got to go through all that process. And then of course you got to buy a container full to ship that stuff back in many cases with a sticker. You and I could come up with an idea right now that sounds like a great idea. We could have a designer working on it later today, have designs within a week and potentially could have that printed and in our machines within a month to a month and a half. So we're very, very fleet of foot because we're just printing on paper and that can all be done here in the States. The other thing is the fact that a box of stickers is really not a whole lot bigger than a shoe box, just a little bit longer. So at the time I had that 98 Honda Accord I talked about early on, I could carry enough product in my Honda Accord to service 20 or 25 schools. Contrast that with the toys and all that that I was doing at the local area restaurants and all. I'd need a cargo van, if not a box truck, to have a route of any significant size. And at the time, I just didn't have the money for any of that. So I had to get creative with what I did have, which was a Honda Accord. So in fleet of foot and just the size of the product were the two main factors for me in going that route. Interesting stuff. Definitely. I love talking to entrepreneurs who have other businesses where they raise money and work with investors to provide them a passive stream of income. Really quick, how do you structure legally this? Do you have to do a private placement memorandum with investors? Up to this point in time, it's just between us and the franchisees. We are talking about some ways of working with private investors to produce a pool of money to allow our growth to occur even more quickly because one of the points along the way where growth is sometimes stunted with some of our franchisees is on the capital side. We haven't done that up to this point, but there is a big desire for more growth and there's tons of schools out there that we're not working with yet. It, it just would be a matter of having the capital to put the equipment out there. So I think that's a route we've been talking about pursuing here in the coming year to enable our franchisees to put this together more quickly. And in that case, yeah, we'd have some sort of PPM for sure and work out some sort of an investment arrangement from there. Matt, where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Joe, I wrote a short ebook called Live Your Dreams, The Top 10 Reasons Why You Should Own a Vending Business. From a real estate side or from just a professional side, it highlights a bunch of things that most have never thought of in relation to vending. I'd love for your audience to have and download a copy of that for free if they like. They can go to ssbbusiness.com forward slash best ever and download that for free and can learn a little bit more about the vending business itself. And if they want to talk about the franchise, we can do that too. Well, that will be in the show notes link. I'm typing it in right now. Matt, thanks for being on the show, sharing with us a business model that I wasn't familiar with, or at least well, I was familiar with vending machines, but I hadn't talked to anyone who was doing it full time. So thanks for sharing that. And best ever listeners, there is an apples to apples comparison for one thing in particular that Matt was talking about in terms of vending machines and real estate. And that is when he talked about how he got started knocking on doors and he said, 
I own a vending machine company. We work with XYZ Children's Hospital. We're donating some of our profits to them. And he went into his pitch. There's an interesting aspect of that where he immediately had some credibility with that company, with the people whose doors he was knocking on, because he's partnering with an entity that they recognize already. And it's an entity that they would want to help out. And as real estate investors, we can do something similar by partnering with other nonprofits locally, donating a portion of our profits to them, and then all winning along the way. And I can tell you I've done that personally with a lot of scholarships that I've created through Texas Tech, as well as some other things with Junior Achievement, where all the profits from my books go to Junior Achievement to help underserved kids in communities. And it's a great way to, one, give back, but then two, it's a great way to get additional exposure and build your business because you're able to be associated with a large organization that everyone recognizes, even if you are just starting out. So that's a takeaway for sure. Matt, thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, Joe. Thanks, man. And God bless. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Finally, your funding problem is 100% solved at CIX.com. At CIX.com, private lenders compete to fund deals. CIX facilitates over half a billion in loans for real estate investors weekly. Get funded and download your free funding kit at CIX.com.